Well, I have a simple goal in class today. My simple goal is for everyone who hears this message live at Jersey Village, on the internet, wherever you may hear it, my goal is that you will grow in the knowledge and worship of the Lord. That's the simple goal. Now, I want to tell you all, I am not just the dean of college of rock knowledge, but I can tell you I have some specialties. And one of my specialties, I happen to know a whole lot about Bob Dylan. Robert Zimmerman being his real name from Hibbing, Minnesota, small town. I can tell you about Dylan. I can tell you about his writings. I can tell you about his songs. I can quote Dylan lyrics long enough to make you leave. I can sing and imitate Bob Dylan long enough to make you leave, which actually is not that big a deal. That'd be about five seconds. But I'm telling you, I know a lot about Bob Dylan, but I don't know Bob Dylan. I've never met Bob Dylan. You can know a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ. You can quote the Bible. You can memorize the Bible. You can sing the Bible. But it doesn't mean you know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a difference. And what I want us to do is in this class, I want us to know more about Jesus. But I'm really trying to give us that knowledge so that we will be drawn into a deeper walk with Jesus. A more intimate relationship with God. I can supply some knowledge by the grace of God. But you've got to make the decision to make it part of your life. And so within the framework of that, we're trying to look this summer to Kick up our Bible study a notch. I'm calling the series Better Bible Study. But what I'm really trying to do is trying to take what is a library. And that's what the Bible is. It's a library of 66 books. It's got the Old Testament and the New Testament. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. I'm trying to take that library... And help it make better sense to us, not so that we have more head knowledge, but so that we have a deeper walk with the Father. So if that's our goal, let me suggest something to you. The approach we're using is we're looking at the Bible and trying to find certain themes and storylines that are in the Bible. And some of them are themes that pop up, but some of them are often true storylines that permeate all of them. Now, I don't know how, if I were to do an average, average age of this group, I'm just looking out, I'm guessing, I don't know, 25, 30 years old. 
in our hearts. So maybe I should have chosen another book. But always wanting people to know that we live in a young age. Young at heart. Hashtag young at heart. Um, If you read J.K. Rowling's books on Harry Potter. She wrote seven of them. Actually, she's written a bunch of other stuff too. But seven books in the main for Harry Potter. Has anybody read any of the Harry Potter books in here? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can read all seven of them, and they've got plot lines and storylines and characters and all the rest. But the bottom line is, is can Harry defeat Lord Voldemort? And that storyline runs all the way through all of the seven before you get to the end and find out, yes, he can. Oh, spoiler alert, if you've not read it. (laughs) Sorry. Doesn't look like he's going to win, though. He's got to be resurrected to win. Oh, I've just ruined it more. Well, there's a storyline in the Bible as well. That goes from beginning to end. And you can pull the books off the shelf and you can see in those books. From Genesis to Revelation. This constant storyline. And and you've got other storylines that happen. And you've got other instructions that happen. And you've got other different types of literature. And you've got this, that, and the other. But there is a constant story that runs all the way through. There is a a, a certain story that gives meaning and definition to so much of Scripture. And I hope we all know that story. But just to reinforce it, we're going to tell it anyway. The story begins in the very beginning where the Lord God formed man from dust of the ground. There's supposed to be a picture there. Get on there, picture. Thank you. Where the Lord God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And Adam becomes, man becomes Adam and man. Same word in the Hebrew. Um, And Adam becomes a living creature. This is a story. God formed man. And the, the Hebrew word there for formed is the same word that's used of a potter. My sister Catherine's a potter. Forming clay. God took his hands. And it's one that, that teaches that there's an intimacy. There's a relationship. God is literally holding Adam. That language is there to express that. We have language that that shows God's forming of humanity. And Eve too, who comes from the side of Adam. And God sets him in this glorious garden. And says, hey, welcome home. This is my garden. My my garden is your garden. Just don't eat this one tree. This is off limits. But we get the story. Eve takes of the fruit of the tree and she eats it. She gives some to her husband who eats it. 
then the eyes of both are open and they're naked. This is the storyline that Scripture is setting up from the very earliest pages. And as a result, humanity living in God's garden, formed by the hands of God, where God walks in the garden and God talks to him in the cool of the day. Humanity rebels against God and is put under a curse because God and impurity do not mix. And so in that curse, God says that part of it is it's not over. God doesn't say it's over. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you, the serpent. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. I'm going to put enmity between your offspring, the fruit of what you do, Satan, and the offspring of Jesus. I mean, of, of, of Eve. And the offspring of Eve will bruise your head and you'll bruise his heel. This is the, the first clearest proclamation of what Jesus is going to do. Now that storyline runs throughout all 66 books. But the storyline has already been set up. And if you're reading this in Hebrew or in English, but clearer in Hebrew, offspring, he, his, is very clearly masculine and singular. So it's talking about a masculine, singular, male, born of woman who is going to have this net effect of destroying Satan and Satan's offspring, the work of Satan. And that's the story. So the story sets up with Adam and Eve living with God in close harmony and fellowship. Sin enters the picture. Rebellion against God enters the picture. And it brings humanity under a curse. But from the seed of woman is going to come one who is going to destroy the work of Satan and restore humanity, God's children, with God. And so you can go to the very end of the library. Catch that last book of Revelation. And go to the end of Revelation. Actually, 22nd chapter would be the end. But you get close. <laughs> Behold, the dwelling place of God is with people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's a clear link back to the Genesis story. Because out of the evil that came in the rebellion and the curse comes hurt and pain and enmity and strife. Adam's going to have to make a living in the thorns and the thistles. Women will be giving childbirth in pain and anguish. And the promise is at the end of the story, 
God is going to make things right. They will be dwelling together again and it will be paradise. There's not going to be the curse. There's not going to be the crying. That'll be wiped away. So this overriding story, this unfolding story is in the Bible. And the question for us that we're looking at today is, how do we get from the beginning of that story to the end of the story? The answer is the story of the Messiah. And so I ask you as your homework to analyze the biblical themes of the Messiah. And that's a, an overriding approach that we're going to use to help us make sense of Scripture. That's going to be a, a hermeneutical approach that we're going to use. Looking at Scripture in light of this story and the Messiah. So we'll do it with three things today. Three ways. First, we're going to look at the roles of the Messiah. And then we're going to look at titles for the Messiah. And then we will close with our points for home. So within the framework of that, let's first look at the roles. And I think you're going to be surprised maybe a little bit at some of what we see. Now, if we look Messiah up in the dictionary. Okay, this isn't really what you get when you look it up in the dictionary. I kind of made this up. But it's it's accurate. I don't mean it's not accurate. I just mean don't buy Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary and expect to see this under Messiah. This is the dictionary of Mark. (laughs) But it's right. I mean, you'll find this in a load of places. Just not necessarily there. It may be there. I doubt it. But Messiah comes from a Hebrew word. Mashiach. Mashiach. Little Hebrew tip. When you have the chid at the end with the sound under it, you put the sound first before the vowel. It's one of the few places you do that. Mashiach. It comes from the Hebrew word to wipe. The verb mashiach is to, to wipe. But Mashiach is one who is anointed or consecrated to God's purposes. The word is only used of people in the Bible... When those people have been anointed or consecrated for God's purposes. Sometimes they don't even know it, i.e. Cyrus. But when someone's been anointed or set aside for God's purposes, they are Messiah. That's what it means. Now, in the Greek language, which is the New Testament world... In the Greek language, there's another word for Messiah. They just took the Greek word for anointed and used it to translate the Hebrew word Messiah. So if in Hebrew we would say Jesus, Yeshua, his Hebrew name, is the Messiah, we would say Yeshua, Hamashiach. Ha just means the. But in Greek, Yesu would be the Greek name for Jesus. And the Greek word that means anointed is Christos. So Christos is one who's anointed or consecrated to God's purposes. We just take the Greek word, 
take off the Greek ending, and we have Christ. Jesus Christ is Greek for Yeshua HaMashiach, or in English, Jesus or Joshua, the Messiah. Now, to the Greek world that was getting Paul's letters, they may not have gotten that connection. And there's another Greek word that's very close to Christos. You just change that I to a long E, to an eta. You have Christos. And Christos or Christos, if you're from Lubbock, they almost sound the same. But Christos just means good. And so, or useful. And so, I'm sure to a lot of Greeks that were reading about Jesus Christ, they may not have even been fully aware of the Hebrew origins and that it's the anointed one until they start getting into the scripture. Don't you know how much joy it would have been to be a Greek in the New Testament world, getting to go to church and hear someone with, who's, who's you know, hear Paul who's steeped in Jewish scripture starting to explain that this guy Jesus Christ, Jesus Christos, is not Christos, he's Christos. And you just thought he was a good Jesus. But in fact, he's anointed Messiah. He is set aside by God for a specific purpose. He doesn't he he he's not just a good guy. He's someone who's anointed, he's someone who's consecrated to God's purpose. And and what's the purpose? It's the unfolding of this story. The purpose is getting from condemnation and curse to restoration and life. That's the biblical story and that's the role of the Messiah. That is the ultimate purpose. Now, as you read through the Bible then, when you come across verses that speak of either the role of anointing or the function of restoring humanity to God. When you read those verses, you need to read them in mindset of this meta-narrative, this long expanded storyline of Scripture. So we can ask a basic question. And this is one, if you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard this before. Some of you, you know, I got um, Steve, others who are teachers, who have probably taught this many times. This is, this, is, this is the easy money, okay? This stuff I've taught often. So if you've been in here, you've heard it. But we need to take a moment and make sure everybody's on the same page because this is fundamental. You can read in the Bible about three different groups of people being messiahed or being anointed or being Christod. If I can do some recombinant DNA between those languages. Who was being messiahed? Who was being anointed to God's ultimate purpose? Well, we know reading our Old Testament that it happened to the priests. The priests were anointed. 
And so if you're reading in Leviticus and Exodus, over and over and over, you're going to read about the, uh, the way God wants the priests anointed. He wants them consecrated for God's purposes. An example would be Exodus 40, verses 11 and 12. You'll bring Aaron and his sons. Aaron is the first high priest. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting. That's the, the, the tent where God would meet with his people and shall wash them with water. They got to be clean. Put on Aaron the holy garments. This means you clothe him in a degree of righteousness that nobody else has, in a, in a, in a kind of clothing that no one else is entitled to wear. All of this, by the way, is these are these are themes that are echoed over and over in Christ and all, but we, we're not going to digress right now. You shall anoint him, you Messiah him, you Christ him, and you consecrate him. That's someone who's been appointed and consecrated, dedicated, that he may serve me as priest. So the priest is someone who's going to be anointed, messiahed, Christed. But it wasn't only the priest. They would also anoint the kings. So Saul was an anointed king, the first one. Second king of Israel was King David. If you're reading along in 2 Samuel 2, you'll see the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they messiahed. David, king over the house of Judah. They Christed David, king over the house of Judah. They dedicated David to be God's purposed one as king over the house of Israel. This is why God takes particular offense. At those kings who've been anointed to be God's tool and instead turn the people to idolatry. Because the purpose of the anointing of the king is to dedicate, to consecrate, to hallow. I realize I just grabbed three words out of Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address there. Sorry, Abe. But they're pretty good. Consecrate, hallow. Dedicate. That's what they were supposed to be. To God. To God's purposes. God's design. So they would anoint. They'd Messiah. They would Christ. The priests. The kings. And also the prophets. Elijah was one of the great Old Testament prophets. He's getting ready to, to go. But God tells him in 1 Kings nineteen sixteen That you shall Messiah. You shall anoint, you shall Christ, Elisha, to be a prophet in your place. So the prophets would also be uh, anointed. But there's more to, by the way, Jesus fulfills all of those. Jesus is the ultimate priest. Jesus is the king of kings. He is the ultimate prophet who sees God face to face and speaks on behalf of God to the people. So as a priest, Jesus takes the people's problems and sins and everything and takes them to God to be washed clean. 
as the king, he defeats all others. He defeats Satan. He defeats all the, not just people of the world, but all powers and principalities. He reigns over everything. He's the king of all kings. And then, as a prophet, he, more than anyone else, has seen clearly face-to-face the heart of God because he was God before he was human. And so he speaks on behalf of God to the people. So Jesus is the ultimate Messiah in all three aspects of this that carries the storyline that we're talking about of restoring us to God. But we can look deeper into Messiah and we can ask more questions because the word's not always used as Messiah. No, that's poor grammar. Because the concept of the one who's restoring humanity is not always carrying the vocabulary word anointed. So when we ask who was God's Messiah, who was Messiah, who was appointed or anointed to God's ultimate purpose, we've got some more specific things we can look at. It's not just the king. But the ultimate Messiah, the ultimate one who's going to solve the problem is specifically a king from the line of David. Genesis 49.10. Blessings and curses are being announced on the 12 uh, progenitors of the tribes of, of Israel. And the scepter, the ruling scepter, goes to the royal descendants of Judah whose right it is. It is going to be from Judah that the royal descendant will carry the scepter. You can look at 2 Samuel 7, verses uh, 12 through 16. A seed of David, an offspring of David, is going to have the eternal throne. I'm not talking about, oh, who's the king of the day? This is not uh, Melech de Jure, to mix Hebrew and French. Um, this is who is king forever. Who's got the eternal throne? First Samuel or Second Samuel seven, verses twelve through sixteen. Let's see if we can. When your days are fulfilled, he's talking about David, talking to David. When your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you who come from your body. And I'll establish his kingdom. Now, this is Solomon, but it's more than Solomon. Keep reading. He'll build a house for my name. Solomon, but more than Solomon. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. He'll be to me a son. Now, look at this. You're saying, I'm seeing the Jesus in this, but this next verse might stump you a little bit. When he commits iniquity, you're saying, well, wait a minute. Jesus didn't commit iniquity. The Hebrew verb here is not to. It's not, the, the verb is not commit iniquity. The verb is iniquity. And so it's when he has iniquity. When he has iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men. 
But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. Your throne shall be established forever. That's messianic. That's the king, the Messiah, the anointed one who's going to reign forever. It's going to come from David's seed. He's going to bear iniquity. He's going to suffer the stripes. Isaiah will grab that passage and say, but by his stripes we're healed. And we'll look at that later. But if you go to, let's go to Isaiah now. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 gives you more insight into uh, uh, the Messiah, the one who's coming to fix the problems, the, the solution. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Or to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice, with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is what God's about. This is the beauty of Handel's Messiah. Handel had good theology on this. I mean, this is part of the Messiah. See if this works. Can we bring that up a little bit, please? Saying, no, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> That's the thrust of this. This is the Messiah. A son who's going to be born. Wonderful counselor, prince of peace, almighty God, the everlasting father. The Messiah has got some incredible words about him there. Messiah is also called within scripture the servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord is the Messiah. You can keep going through Isaiah and you'll find a number of passages. Let me look at a couple of them with you. Isaiah chapter 42. The first 13 verses. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He's going to bring forth justice to the nations. He's not going to cry aloud, lift up his voice or be, make it heard on the street. He's not going to 
It's, it's not going to be a wailing. A bruised reed he won't break. A faintly burning wick he won't quench. But he will faithfully bring forth justice. Look at this. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I'll take you by the hand and keep you. I'll give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring prisoners from the dungeon. From the prison, those who sit in the darkness. I'm the Lord. That's my name. My glory I give to no other. Nor my praise to carved idols. And as this comes, and Larry Burgess, when I get to the um, theme of age and time... This will come back. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. So sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. This is what God's doing. But this is all under the title of my servant. The servant of God. Look at Isaiah 52 into chapter 53, which is the suffering servant passage. This is, this is like big time, okay? Behold, my servant, Messiah, Christ, shall be high and lifted up and exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Who's believed what he's heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm is the power, is the symbol of power and might. So when you read arm, oftentimes you look primarily to see where the metaphor is for symbol and power, uh, for might. He grew up before God like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty. Jesus was not voted uh, best looking. He wasn't followed because he was so debonair. He's, he's, he's no... Uh, who's debonair? Uh, he's no George Clooney. Thank you, Steve Taylor. Oh, that may not have been you who said it. <laughs> He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. One from whom men hid their faces, Peter. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken. He was smitten by God and afflicted. Remember the passage I read you earlier. That when he bears iniquity, translated commits, but bears iniquity. When he's got iniquity on him, God said, I won't spare him. He was smitten by God. He was afflicted, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment. God said, I won't spare the punishment. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. This is the Messiah. With his wounds, stripes, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Everyone's turned to his own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
um, it, it keeps going, um, but I'm, I'm going to run out of time. So you can keep reading Isaiah 53 for that. Look at Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 11. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord's appointed, anointed me, anointed me. He's messiahed me. He's messiahed me to bring good news to the poor. Gospel. To bring the gospel to the poor. Euangelion. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. The opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's fixing the problem. I mean, it, it keeps going. Just, just keep reading it. But I'll tell you this. Jesus read that passage to the synagogue in Luke 4 when he went home. Went back to Nazareth. Luke 4, verses 16. Jesus uh, starts, yeah, in verse 16. Jesus comes to Nazareth where he'd been reared. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. It must have been the half Torah reading that day, Ricky. Um... He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's messiahed me to proclaim the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty those oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolls up the scroll. He gives it back to the attendant. He sits down. Everybody's staring at Him. And He says to Him, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I am the Messiah. People weren't too fond of that because they thought he was just another kid that they'd watched grow up. But he's saying, I'm not. I'm the one who's fixing the problem. I'm a Messiah because I have been appointed by God and consecrated by God to do that very thing. That's my job. Scripture continues to say that the Messiah, the anointed one, is going to usher in the end of days. We'll get back to this in more detail in the time capsule uh, class. But uh, Jeremiah 23 is a great passage for it. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. The days are coming. The end of days when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he'll reign as king. He'll deal wisely. He'll execute justice and righteousness in the land. It continues. Behold, the days are coming. In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will be will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he'll be called. The Lord is our righteousness. You can keep reading part of the... What Jesus is going to do. He's going to redeem the world from sin. That was the Isaiah 53 passage we just looked at. Pierced for our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes or wounds we are healed. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We know that this anointed one will be the perfect ruler of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish uphold with justice and righteousness 
from this time forth and forevermore. The role of the Messiah. Now, let's move over and look at some titles and see if they don't make us uh, appreciate greater depth. But remember, we're reading titles of the Messiah. We're reading titles of the anointed one that's been consecrated to God to write the problems. This all fits in the meta-narrative of the Bible so that we can again dwell with God and be out from under the curse. Psalm 2. Jesus has got the title, the Messiah has got the title, the Son of God. The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his Messiah, his anointed, his Christ. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he'll speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king The anointed one, the Messiah. I have set my Messiah king on Zion, my holy hill. The psalm continues. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me. Now the Messiah is talking. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the earth your possession. We don't understand all of the mysteries of of the incarnation where Paul said that Christ, being in the form of God, had set aside equality with God, being like God, had set aside some measure of godness to be made in the likeness of humanity. And that makes sense to us even if we don't understand it because what human brain is going to hold all of God? So Jesus humbles himself takes the form of a human being. And as he did so and the Holy Spirit dwells within him and he walks perfectly before God, don't you know that these scriptures were illuminating even to him, encouraging him in his faith? As God said, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. I'll make the nation your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. And then... The shift is back in the psalm to the people. Therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, rulers of the earth. Because the king of kings is coming. So you serve the Lord with fear. You rejoice with trembling and you kiss the son. The anointed one. The king of whom the psalm has been speaking. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Jesus not only has the title, the Messiah not only has the title of the Son of God, he's also got the title of the Son of Man. This is huge. In Daniel 7, verses 9 and following, if we go to the Old Testament prophet Daniel, this is in the Daniel part with the dreams and the visions. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I have to get David Capes up here to help me find Daniel. Daniel 7. David, you've memorized all of those minor, I mean, all of the prophets in total order, haven't you? Yeah, can you sing it real quick? No, okay. Daniel 7, verse 9. Look at this vision. This is, 
Look, you need this one. Okay, if you've been dozing for the last couple minutes, this one's worth waking up for. As I looked, thrones were placed. Did you see that? How many? Doesn't say, but it's plural. Thrones. Plural. Thrones. Got it? Plural thrones and the Ancient of Days took his seat. One of them's occupied. The Ancient of Days had clothing that was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. How pure was he? By the way, when they say something like that, pure wool, white as snow, those are phrases that are used over and over biblically to reference great purity in a holiness sense. It's the reason you would take a pure lamb to sacrifice for your sins. One, it's the reason that God says in Isaiah, he'll make your your sins, though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them as white as snow. This is purity, okay? God is the ultimate, the ancient of days, the ultimate in purity. His throne are fiery flames. His, its wheels burning fire. And a stream of fire issued out and came from before him. A thousand thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. It's kind of scary, isn't it? I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned by fire. And for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And then, how many people on the throne so far? Multiple thrones, one person. Well, one entity, the Ancient of Days. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. And he's presented to the Ancient of Days. And to him, the one like the Son of Man, was given dominion. That means he's got a kingdom. Glory. A kingdom. All peoples, all nations, all languages shall serve him. And it's an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. A kingdom that shall not be destroyed. And now we see why there are multiple thrones. There are multiple thrones because not only is the Ancient of Days on a throne, but the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of Man is also on a throne. This passage, by the way, is what makes sense of Matthew twenty six fifty seven. Matthew twenty six fifty seven. you can't understand. If you don't understand the the Daniel passage and and the Messiah references. Matthew 26, 57. Let's get there. Jesus has been arrested. And he's brought before Caiaphas and the council. And they're trying to figure out how they can, can stick it to him. 
Those who'd seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. Peter's following at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and he's just sitting down watching it. Now, the chief priest and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they couldn't find any, even though there were a lot of false witnesses that came forward. At last, two came forward and said, Hey, Jesus said that he's able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The temple of God is symbolic of the throne where God reigns. And the high priest stood up and said, To Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? And Jesus remained silent. And the high priest says, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah. Tell us if you're the Christ. Tell us if you are the anointed one. The son of God. Another one of the titles for the Messiah. Jesus said, well, you just said it, but I'm going to tell it this way. From now on, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The Son of Man is the Daniel description, seated on a throne, the right hand of power of the Ancient of Days. You want to know... Jesus says, if I'm the Messiah, well, listen to your own words, but I'm going to tell you this. Go back and read Daniel because I'm on the throne. The high priest knew Daniel. So he tears his robes and says, well, he's just blasphemed himself. We don't need any more proof. He's just claimed to be God. Jesus is the son of, or the Messiah, Jesus, is the son of God. He's also the son of man. He's also called the son of David in scripture. Now I'm running out of time. And Dale Hearn tells me the most important thing are the points for homes. So here's what we're going to do. You can go find this on your own. Look in 2 Samuel 7, 12, and 13. Look in Jeremiah 23, 5. You can get this class on the internet if you lose these references. Look at Luke 1.32. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father. He's the son of David. People come up to Jesus. The demons come up. But, but not just the demons. Uh, uh, people will come up. Uh, uh, people needing healing. And call him Jesus, Son of David. Have mercy on me. You can get to the book of Revelation and you'll see that Jesus is the one who, the true one, the holy one who has the keys of David. Revelation 5, 5, the elders say, weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered. Um, okay, there's, there's like tons more of this stuff, but here's what we got to do. We got to get to the points for home because we don't have much time left and I don't want to leave you here. So points for home. This storyline runs throughout scripture. The point of the story is through the work of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, we get to dwell with God forever. Paul makes this point in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5. God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus, Messiah. The Messiah, the anointed one, who died for us so that 
whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. That's the point of the story. We live forever with God through the work of Jesus, the Messiah. So here are your go with Jesus points first. They're all based on the one shepherd, which I didn't have time to get to. That's another title for Jesus. So we're sort of blending it in now. How's that? Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. That's another description of the Messiah. He will be the great shepherd of the sheep. By Ezekiel 34 is loaded with that. By the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus, the Messiah. Through Jesus, the Messiah, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's my prayer for you, that the God of peace will equip you with every good work that you may do his will. Because the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He'll guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God will fix all of the fall that's in you. God wants to work in you right now. And he wants to restore you to who you can be. And you have the assurance that he'll bring it to completion when Jesus returns. Or, as Peter said, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So my goal for you is to grow in the knowledge and worship of the Lord, knowing that you are part of his grand narrative and story. And he loves you. And he wants you. And he will empower you. And he will not leave you in your sin. But he will rescue and redeem you. He was anointed. He was messiahed for that very purpose. All right. Homework. Larry Burgess, this is for you. Next week, everybody start looking at the biblical themes of the exile. And if you can figure out where it is in the story of Noah, you'll get extra brownie points because it's there and it's very important. I'll see you next week. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray your blessings on everyone that we would hear this message, that we would fall down and worship at Jesus, Yeshua, HaMashiach, who restores us to you by the sacrifice on the cross. We pray these things in your name. Amen.